Glad that you're here this morning. I know a lot of people are going on vacation this time of year, so it's good that we're together today. And if you're traveling throughout the summer, I hope you have a, a great time away and uh, it's refreshing for you. In a few weeks, God willing, that's what I'll have the opportunity to do, to go away on vacation. And uh, we're planning on going to the beach. I, I love to be at the beach. I love uh, my feet in the sand. I love standing on the beach, looking out over the horizon of the vast ocean. And yeah, it be, it's beautiful. I love it for that reason. But another reason I just love being at the beach is when I look out over the horizon and, and I just uh, I think about how big the ocean is, it makes me, in a good way, in a healthy way, feel small, in a healthy way, feel insignificant in comparison to the greatness of God, the, the power of God and all of His creation. And I think about all the things in the universe that God has created, and, uh, yeah, and we're, you think about the sand, like the, the, each individual grain of sand, uh, that's kind of how small I feel in comparison to the greatness, power of God and all that He's created, and yet He loves me. And he knows me, and he cares about me, and, and, and loves me. And so that's healthy for me. That's healthy for my soul to stand there and just be reminded that even though God is so powerful and so great, that he knows who I am and that he loves me. And so it's refreshing to me. Those are moments, uh, for me at least, uh, when feeling small, feeling insignificant is a good thing. It's a healthy thing for me. But this week, uh, that's not till later on in the summer here, but this week I'll be traveling to Winona Lake, Indiana for our Caris Fellowship Conference. And even though I have a leadership role, it is quite significant when it comes to the conference this week, uh, there's, there's been this ongoing struggle in, in my life, especially when it comes to leadership roles, uh, there's been this uh, struggle of feeling and it's not because of other people, it's my own insecurity, feeling insignificant, feeling small. When I uh, am in places like that, in settings like that, I've, I've had to remind myself that I have no one here to impress, I have only one to honor. And I've had to remind myself of that. It's, uh, I feel small and insignificant in, in the presence of others who uh, have achieved more or who are uh, well, more well-known than me, and it's not them. It's, it's me. It's my insecurities that, uh, that continually, at times, uh, bring that up in my mind and, and create fear and doubt and all of these things that shouldn't be there, and I have to rely on the Lord. I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to, uh, to push past those, those feelings that have no business in my mind or in my in my heart. So I only share that with you to say this. I wonder if you ever feel that way. I wonder if you ever feel small or insignificant, not in a healthy, good way in the comparison to the, the greatness of God. But I'm saying, do you ever feel overlooked? Do you ever feel forgotten or unimportant? Like nothing that you do really matters, that whatever it is that you are doing doesn't really have much value. Maybe you post something online and there are like three people that saw it and one made a comment, right? And the comment was like, good for you, keep trying. And you, and, and you at times may feel small and important. No one knows who you are. No one cares who you are. 
Well, this morning we're going to visit the city of Philadelphia. Not, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, not the home of the Eagles and the Flyers and the 76ers, not the home of the Philly cheesesteak, not the place where the Liberty Bell is kept. We're going to visit the ancient city of Philadelphia in the modern-day country of Turkey. Philadelphia is the sixth out of the seven churches that Jesus told the Apostle John to write messages to in this letter, the letter called Revelation. Philadelphia is about 27 miles away from the city we were in last week in the city of Sardis. So if you missed any of those, right, this is week six. So if you missed any of those uh, cities, any of those sermons, you can get caught up on our website this week. Just go to gracefellowship.online, click the sermons button. There's a playlist there. You can watch the videos or you can listen to the podcast version on our website. One of the significant things you need to know about Philadelphia is that it is, was, and is located on a fault line. And because it's located on a fault line, they have had and continue to have many earthquakes. They have a major earthquake about every 30 to 40 years. They have about 40 to 50 minor earthquakes every year. So the ground is constantly unsettled and shifting beneath the city. And when they would have major damage in that city from one of these earthquakes um, during the Roman Empire, they got very little help from the Roman government. Now, there were other cities that things would happen and the Roman government would funnel all kinds of money into certain cities, but not Philadelphia. They got like a tax break for a few years. That was all the help they got from the Roman government. In fact, one of the emperors, Domitian, was like top three most terrible uh, rulers of all time. The Domitian, when he was the emperor, not only did he not care about Philadelphia, he actually hurt them. Uh, he, was, uh, he, he wanted to give special status to the Italians, and the Italians were competing with Philadelphia when it came to their vineyards. That was like the one thing that Philadelphia had. They had really nice vineyards, and they were able to compete uh, with what they had. And uh, Domitian wanted to give special status and give the market, the, the dominance in the market, to the Italians, and so he demanded that the Philadelphians uproot their entire vineyards, all of them, just uproot them. And so they had nothing. They had nothing to compete with. They had nothing then uh, to, to, to sell on the market because of what he made them do. So you can imagine how they felt about the government. Uh, you can imagine how they felt uh, when it came to how other cities saw them and treated them. The people of Philadelphia felt betrayed. They felt forgotten. They, they felt like their government not only had overlooked them, but had, had really hurt them. And so they felt small. They felt, they felt insignificant. And the Christians in that city of Philadelphia, Philadelphia they felt that way too. They were not a, a large gathering of believers. They felt small and, and insignificant. They felt marginalized. I have a few pictures uh, there's not a whole lot to see in the city of Philadelphia. Go to the next one. This, what I'm going to show you is a church. This is St. John's Church. 
It's a basilica that was built around 600 A.D., so 600 years after the time of Christ, after the church began. And uh, some things that you'll notice, the, the pillars, the main pillars, are still standing, and they're quite massive, right? They're, uh, they're quite beefy. And there's a reason why the pillars are so beefy. You go to maybe some other of the pictures I have there. You'll see the, the, the basilica itself has been collapsed. Is there another picture of that? Okay, so this is a coffin. And what do you notice about it? There's a crack in it, right? And the, the church itself has been destroyed. What do you think caused the crack? What do you think collapsed the church? Take a guess. Yeah, earthquakes, right? So, and you can see that all throughout the city. I think I have another picture. If you go to the next one. Uh, of a house. If you just see this house on this side, there's a, there's a crack. So even today, uh, structurally, if the things aren't built in a certain way, uh, they, have, they have problems with, uh, with earthquakes today. So there's not a whole lot to see in this city. I had a few pictures there. I want to take you now to the text. You at least have an idea of what this city was dealing with. And, and uh, when we go to Revelation chapter 3, would you open your Bibles there and join me in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. I apologize for my voice. I had a cold earlier in the week, and I'm struggling through. I hope it's not too irritating to you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Write this letter to the angel, to the elder, to the pastor of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. You might have the, the phrase, he's the one who opens doors that, that, can't be, uh, that can't be closed, and you might have the phrase door in there, but he's, he's the one who opens and shuts doors. And this is something that the people of Philadelphia could relate to because of earthquakes that would shake the door jams out of plumb. And the doors wouldn't open and close properly. In fact, sometimes they would have to cut holes in the wall in order to get out of their house after an earthquake. Verse 8, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength. You might have the phrase, you are weak. I know you are weak, yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. You have little strength. You, you feel small. You feel insignificant. You see yourself as unimportant. You feel forgotten. You feel abandoned. And I know that some, I've read different commentators on uh, this particular passage, and, and some of them see this as a criticism. They, they hear Jesus. They read Jesus' words here. You have little strength. You're weak. And, and it's viewed by some as a criticism, which would mark the church of Smyrna, as we talked about before, as the only church that didn't receive any rebuke or any, any criticism. But uh, I'm not sure that that is the tone. There are some commentators, but I tend to agree that, uh, that when you read the whole message that Jesus gives to this church, uh, it has more of a tone of compassion, it has more of a of a tone of understanding. If you remember, Smyrna was struggling with fear. They were, they were afraid all the time, and, and uh, Jesus came along, and, and he wanted to inspire and encourage them and console them in that. 
And uh, here in, in Philadelphia, I, 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 I hear this tone in the same way. I know that you're weak. It could be, I suppose, read in a critical way, but to me it sounds more compassionate and understanding. And if I'm wrong, that's okay. But either way, Jesus doesn't, doesn't spend much time dwelling on the why. Why they were feeling small and, and insignificant and weak, marginalized. He, instead, he commends them for being faithful. He shifts that focus to commending them for not compromising truth and for patiently enduring even though it was difficult. Look at verse 9. He says, look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue. Now, this is a reference we've seen before. This happened in, uh, in other places where there were those who were from a Jewish background, uh, but they were intentionally persecuting uh, Christians, most likely those who have a Jewish background, who then converted to Christianity, and then they not only get rejected by those with a Jewish background, but actually uh, they made their life uh, quite miserable. And he says they're liars. They say they're Jews, but they're not. Uh, but he's gonna. He says I'm gonna. They're gonna bow down. They'll come and bow down at your feet in the future. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. I'll, I'll protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Now, there is a lot of prophecy in this particular message, a lot of prophecy references here. Like verse 10 is, uh, is a prophecy reference to the, to the coming tribulation. And it's, I think, a really good support reference uh, for, for those of us who, who believe that, the, uh, that 1 Thessalonians 4 describes the rapture of the church, uh, that Jesus is going to, uh, with a shout, call up the believers and the dead in Christ will rise before the tribulation begins. This is a really good support reference uh, for that particular um, understanding of eschatology. But verse Verse 11 and 12 is also a prophecy reference to the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation period. When, there's, when Christ establishes his kingdom on earth and, and there's a new heaven, a new earth, the, the, the new city of Jerusalem comes down from heaven. Now, if you're interested in all of those kinds of things, Revelation 21 describes that, uh, that event. It's still coming in the future. We haven't obviously yet experienced it. But here, Jesus is pointing ahead to to those future events. And it's why a lot of Bible scholars approach these seven messages from uh, more of a prophecy focus, and there are prophecy throughout each of the, the messages, rather than the way I've been approaching it, more of a, the direct messages to the historical churches of the time. Now listen, it's good to study both. Uh, it's good to study both. Uh, but here, it's, you can't ignore, there's so much uh, emphasis, there's so much bold, significant prophecy that, uh, that Jesus gives here in this message. So we are going to approach it today, and, and we're going to deal with it today, because it not only applies to them, it was not only a message of hope for them, 
even though they didn't experience the return of Jesus, and we're still waiting for the return of Jesus, the hope is still the same. It's, it's the same hope that they had is the same hope that we have about the future. So we'll, we'll bring all of that back in here in just a moment. But this message to the ancient church of Philadelphia, I think, is really quite relevant to us today. You think about some of the things that our modern culture values above all else. Our modern American culture pursues fortune and fame and power and pleasure above things like virtue and morality and truth. Things like fortune and fame and power and pleasure, these, these are false gods that our country, our culture, uh, has put up in their lives as idols. And here's the thing. Here's how that affects us. If you're a follower of Jesus and, and uh, you're pursuing truth, you're pursuing uh, virtue, you're pursuing morality, uh, and you, you've put these other things aside, they're not your idols, they're not things that you put as much importance on. Because you don't maybe have those things in our American culture, you are viewed as small. You are viewed as insignificant. You are easily overlooked as someone who's not important. Because, of course, anyone who has money and fame and power and, and, and can just enjoy life uh, with any pleasure that they want, they're viewed in our culture as very important. And these distorted views of things that have true value, things that have true significance, sometimes if we're not careful, they can distort the way that we view ourselves, the way that we view uh, other people or the things that are going on around us. And the believers in Philadelphia, they felt small. They felt insignificant because their church was small and their city had been overlooked. Their city had been betrayed by the government. And, and there was this group of people in the city that was marginalizing them and pushing them out of, uh, out of the mainstream in their city just because they believed in Jesus. I wonder if they uh, maybe even felt that way because they had heard about Ephesus. We started this series in Ephesus and uh, that was like the megachurch of the time. You know, they had three very famous pastors, these big-name pastors in Ephesus, and, and they were sending out missionaries, and, and the gospel had made such an impact in that city. Remember, uh, the, the idol makers in that city like started a riot because so many people were, were trusting Christ that they stopped buying the idols, and it made an impact in the, uh, in the idol sales in that city. And so maybe they hear these kind of stories about Ephesus and they look at their small little gathering here in Philadelphia and, and maybe that made them feel small, like what they were doing in this city didn't really matter. I don't know, but on, on the days when, when we feel insignificant, on days when we feel uh, insecure or unimportant or small, I think what Jesus said to this church reminds us of three things. So if you ever feel that way, I, I think you should be able to come back to this message and be reminded of three things. Here's the first one. The first one is that Jesus is the one who opens and shuts doors. Jesus is the one who opens and shuts doors. I want to admit something. I'm not proud of this, but I'm going to admit it to you anyway. I like being the one in my family that can open the pickle jar. I like it. I've liked it for a long time. Now, my son's 18. He's huge. 
And, you know, he can open pickle jars now in the family as well. And, and that's fine. But I, 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 for a long time, I've liked being the one when my, my puny wife and, and my scrawny little girls come up and they say, Dad or honey, can you open the pickle jar? Yes, I can! Crack! And I open up the pickle jar and I feel very strong and I feel very powerful. I don't want to be, and maybe that day is going to come, you know, the, the day may come when I'm no longer able to be the guy who can open the pickle jar, but I don't want to be that guy. I don't, I don't want to be the guy who can't open the pickle jar because that would make me feel weak. Yes, you can add me to your prayer list. You can pray the Lord will deliver me from my pickle jar pride, that's fine. But I wonder if maybe you feel that way sometimes. I, I, I wonder if you can relate to that. Wanting to be able to force open the doors that you want to walk through. I wonder if sometimes you wish, man, if I, just, if I just had the power to open the pickle jars that I want to open, instead of having to rely on somebody else or or I want this to happen, I want that to happen, and I just wish I had the power to make it happen. I think we have a natural tendency to maybe look at opportunities that we have in life, to maybe look at certain measures of success. Let's say, I don't know what you have in your life that you would define as a certain measure of success, but hopefully there's something there that, that you would point to and say, I'm, I'm really happy with this in my life. But sometimes we, we, we look at those opportunities that we've experienced and, and a certain measure of success, and it feels good, right? I opened that door. I made that happen. I cracked open that pickle jar. I feel good about that. Okay. But what happens? What happens when you can't get the door open? What happens when the measures of success that that you really want to experience don't happen. Now what? You apply for the job, and you didn't get it. You tried out for the team, but you didn't make first string. You got the job, but you, you got passed over for the promotion repeatedly. You thought life was going to look a certain way, especially at this stage in your life, but it it's not turning out that way. It's fallen way short of your expectations. And maybe somewhere along the way, an earthquake has hit your life and has rattled the door jam, so to speak, and it's like nothing, nothing's working the way that I want it to work. Now what? See, it's in moments like that where sometimes people feel like God has forgotten me. God has overlooked me. Maybe, maybe God is more interested in someone who is more important than me. And it's not true. And when we feel like that, we have to remind ourselves that, no, Jesus is the one who opens doors that I can't get open or opens doors of opportunity that he wants me to walk through and shuts other doors that he doesn't want me to walk through. And I can trust him to do both of those things. He has the power to open up the pickle jars that I can't get open, the things that I can't do on my own. 
God has a, a plan and a purpose for your life. You matter. You matter because you are a part of the redemption story that God is writing and revealing. And we see that continued on in the second thing that we need to remind ourselves. Yes, we, we have to remember that Jesus is the one who opens and shuts doors. But we secondly need to remember that our value, our significance comes from Jesus, from our relationship with Jesus. Our significance in life does not come from how many views or likes or followers or comments we have on social media. Our significance and worth does not come from how big of a paycheck we cash or the size of our house or the brand of our car or how important people think our job is or if the cool people at school think that we are worthy of their acceptance. Our value comes from God in that we are made in His image. And that God has an intentional purpose for your life. Our significance comes from knowing that, that Jesus, who is God, who is, who is special in that he is above all creation. And yet chose to leave the glory of heaven so that he would die on a cross as a substitute payment for your sin and for my sin. Jesus is the one who can make us right with God. He's the only one who can open that door. How does he do it? When, when Jesus died on the cross as a substitute payment for our sin, he is, was and is sinless, perfect. And so his sacrifice did something that you and I can't do. It made it possible for his righteousness to be applied to you and me. And so when we trust Jesus as our forgiver of sin, as our Savior from hell, Jesus applies His righteousness into our spiritually bankrupt account. His righteousness gets applied to us. That's what God the Father sees when He looks at us. And it's not because we've earned it or that we deserve it. It's because through faith, He gives us this gift of grace. Jesus did that for us while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemy. There's a passage in Ephesians 2, 8. So the gospel speaks into our significance. We're not significant because of our performance. We're not significant because of the things that we do or achieve. Listen to this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talk about the gospel in the sense of uh, we don't earn our salvation. Listen, it says, God saved you by his grace. That's unmerited favor, unmerited deserved favor when you believed. Well, believed what? Believed in Jesus Christ as your forgiver of sin, the only one who can do for you what you really need to be done, uh, have done for you. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. So that's the, the, the gospel message about how we receive salvation, and how we are made right with God through faith in Christ alone to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, okay? But watch this. Verse 10 then says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So 
We can do good things He has planned for us, don't miss this, long ago. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not insignificant. You're not overlooked by God. You're not unimportant. You are not defined by what others say about you or what they think about you. You are significant because you are part of God's redemptive story. And this says that He has a plan to use you every day. How many people know what God does in and through you is irrelevant? Maybe no one ever will on this side of heaven. Know all the things that God has done in and through you. So what? God knows. And that matters. And that's where our significance comes. There's a third thing, and it it flows right out of our value and our significance being tied to our connection to Jesus. And it's this. The third reminder is that our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. You know, things, things were hard for the people in Philadelphia for all the reasons that we just mentioned. They were not wealthy. They were not famous. Their town was overlooked. They were marginalized people in their town, and they didn't, they didn't feel like they were making a difference. They didn't feel like their efforts mattered a whole lot. But Jesus then reminds them Back in Revelation chapter 3, he reminds them of their future hope. He says, I am coming back soon. And what did that mean for them? Well, it means the same thing it means for us. Jesus is going to, when he comes back, he's going to rule and reign over the new heaven, the new earth, the new city of Jerusalem. And when you read not only this... But throughout the book of Revelation, we see that we as believers will rule and reign with Jesus. Jesus is going to take us from small, weak, insignificant, overlooked, unimportant, and give us significance throughout all eternity. That's that's our future hope. And what does Jesus ask of them? Just keep being faithful. He's not not saying, well, you should do more important things. He doesn't say that. Jesus just just says, "Just, just keep being faithful. The significance will come in eternity. This message to the church in Philadelphia reminds us of a few things. Number one, Jesus opens and shuts the doors. We don't we don't need to be strong, powerful. Because Jesus is. And the believer doesn't need to worry about whether or not we can open up the pickle jar. Because there's some things in life that are beyond our control. They're beyond our strength to change or accomplish. They're they're just things that we can't do. And it's okay. Because Jesus can. And we can trust him to help us with the things that we can't do. We can trust him to, to lead us through the things that don't make sense. And and through opportunities that He has planned for us to open the doors that He wants us to walk through. And we need to remember our value, our significance, and our hope are all found in Jesus. Dr. Randy Smith was our teacher while we were in Turkey. And while we were in that St. John's Basilica, he, he said this, 
I quote him, we were made to leave more than a marker stone with two dates and a dash between them. We were made to be significant in the story of God. And I want to illustrate that with this. My mom died of cancer when she was 53 years old. That was back in 2003, so we're coming up on almost 20 years ago. And I remember, especially that last year when, when mom, she knew she was dying, and I remember many conversations with her about a fear that she had, and it was not a fear of dying. As far as dying, that, that matter was resolved in her heart and mind with Jesus, and she was not afraid of dying. She was, she was afraid of being forgotten. She was afraid of insignificance. And it didn't matter, it didn't matter what I said. You know, I, I would do my best to assure her, I'm not going to forget you. How would I forget you? And, and my daughter was uh, really small. Hannah, my oldest, was really small at the time. She was afraid that Hannah wouldn't remember and, and the things that she had done throughout her life. And she's 53, that none of that was going to matter. You know, die at 53, and you know, there's so much more uh, life that you know, what, I've, what I've done in life isn't, you know, all those kind of questions just kept bouncing around in her mind, and she was afraid of insignificance. And I hope... I hope uh, in, in all of that, I know that now it's resolved. Now the Lord has resolved all of that. Now that she's with him, but I hope she found some, uh, some peace on, even before she died. I feel that she did, but anyway, I want to take you back 20 years past that moment in her life, because 20 years before that, she started a preschool here in this church back in the early 1980s. Now, there's rumors that she started the preschool because I got kicked out of my preschool. I will not confirm nor deny that that was the motivation for the starting of the preschool. My mom was, my mom was uh, she graduated from junior high college in education. Uh, she did some substituting, but uh, so she was professionally trained in this, and so she decided to start a preschool. And... Uh, for 20 years, did that, and she died. But her, her investment in that and in that ministry here resulted in this. Every year, even today, they were 40 years down the road, right? Even today, uh, they do no advertising, and they have 30 kids every year, and there's a waiting list, and uh, that represents 30 families that, that my mom had an impact in every year. And today, uh, my wife and my sister, Michelle, uh, who both have education degrees from St. Francis, and uh, so they're professionally trained in this, but they have chosen to continue that, that ministry because of the impact that it makes, not only in our church, but in the community. I've observed this over the last 20 years of ministry that I've been here. I've observed that there, if you were to evaluate all the things that we have done and do in ministry, 
as far as what is the most effective. What is the most effective in the gospel? What is the most effective in reaching new families? There's there's nothing that comes close to the effectiveness of our preschool ministry. My mom's investment or impact in my wife's life, in my sister's life, continues to ripple out through them and their ministry today. And it's not just through the preschool. My mom obviously made an impact in, in my life. I'm, I'm standing here today after 20 years of ministry because my mom was relentless in teaching me to pray for God's will and not my own. My mom was relentless in reminding me not to find my value or my significance any other place than in my relationship with Jesus. And I'm, I'm sure that there are many in the room who never met my mom. But here's the thing. If this church has in any way helped you, been a benefit to you in living a Jesus-centered life, her life story is a part of your story because of what Jesus did in her life that then rippled out into the lives of other people. And that's just one story of someone that you might have never even met of significance. Now, I want to go to the other side of that and finish with this, because the Apostle Paul is like the opposite of that. The Apostle Paul, by all human measures of success and importance, probably has the title of the most significant missionary slash church planner slash scripture writer. Paul's significance casts a pretty large shadow. But I want to close with something that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Just listen carefully to what he said. First, Jesus said this to him. Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. Paul had something in his life that was very difficult for him, and he asked Jesus to take it away from him, and Jesus said, no, my grace is sufficient This weakness in your life reminds you that you need to rely on my strength. That's what Jesus was trying to get across to Paul. And here's Paul's response to that. Paul's response was, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. Delights in them? Like they're fun? Like they're enjoyable? No, he he finds delight in those things because when he's weak, he's reminded where his strength comes from. It's in his weakness that the strength of Jesus Christ rests on his life. And that's the Apostle Paul saying that. When I am weak, then I am strong, because Jesus is strong, because his power rests on those who are connected to him. So the next time, the next time you feel small, the next time you feel insignificant, not in a healthy way, but in a way that maybe is is fueled by insecurity, in a way that uh, is, is one of these 
you're being fed lies from the culture or from someone at school or someone where when, when you feel small or insignificant, just remember who you're connected to. You're connected to someone who created the universe. You're connected to someone who died on the cross, who left the glory of heaven for your sake so that you could have a relationship with him. That's pretty significant. And that should be enough for us. More than enough.